Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Judges chapter 14, the book of Judges chapter 14. We continue our study through the Old Testament. And, you know, when we look at the life of Samson, remember our study last week, how, you know, you know, it, there was the exhortation, how we can never forget uh, Mama and Papa. Never forget the mama and papa of Samson. Now, it's so beautiful because, you know, we're going to see the ups and the downs in Samson. But at the same time, don't forget that the, 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 the promise that the Lord made to mama and papa before Samson was conceived. Remember, she couldn't have babies. She was barren. And the Lord opened her womb, but then at the same time, he made promises unto her, you know, her for her son to be consecrated unto him. And he told her, hey, no alcohol, don't drink alcohol. And it's so beautiful because you see how there are effectuators for God's promises. But at the same time, what's so beautiful is that you see the faith of mama and papa. And at the same time, remember their life, they live. Remember as when, you know, they're like, wait a second, you know, we saw the Lord and we're still alive. So we see something is happening here. I mean, not just that. I mean, she was barren and, you know, all of a sudden the Lord is giving her promises before she has a son, before she's even pregnant, before he's even conceived and he's giving her promises. And so here we have Samson. He's grown now. And in Judges 14, verse 1, we see here now Samson went down to Timnah. Now, something to keep in mind, too, is that the Philistines are, you know, they're in power right now. You know, what happened? Remember in our study in Deuteronomy, how the Lord says to Moses and Moses tells the people, he says, yes, you're going to have this inheritance. But at the same time, he says, it's not because you're awesome. It's not because you're awesome because you are a stiff necked people. You know, and there are effectuators for God's promises. And we see that, yes, the Israel, they inherited the land. But when God becomes forgotten... All of a sudden, you start to see the oppressors, and that's what we see in the book of Judges. And now we see the Philistines. They're kind of like in charge right now because the Lord has become forgotten. And so here we are in Timnah, Samson. He come, he, in verse 1, he went down to, uh, now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, Israel was surrendered to the Philistines. And because they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Philistines, they're, 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 they're the head honchos, so to speak. And so Samson, he goes to Timnah. He saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. In verse 2, so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. You know, pretty quick and rash decision, don't you think? Pretty quick, you know, he sees her and says, you know what? I want her. And this is something that we see in the life of Samson, a rush into things. I mean, here in this case, he sees a woman and boom, immediately he wants to marry her. You know, and you know, there are times when, when we have these studies, when we open up the Bible and we study the word of God, there are some times when I wish, 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 wish I could speak to certain segments of all Christendom. Where, you know, sometimes I wish I could speak to 
all the men. Sometimes I wish I could speak to all the women. Sometimes I could wish I I wish I could speak to like you know little kids or teenagers or teenage boys or teenage girls. Sometimes I wish I could speak to elders and pastors and sometimes just pastors alone. Sometimes I wish I could speak to married people to old people. Everything and if I you know if I could communicate with babies, sometimes I wish I could speak to babies. You know, but what's so powerful is that when we see the word of God, it's for all of us. But in this particular message, I wish I could speak to every single teenage boy. Every single teenage boy in the faith. Because we see Samson, he has a a rushed into this decision and he sees this woman and he likes what he sees and he wants her. And I wish I could speak to every single teenage boy in the faith. And we see how Samson, and it's not just here, we're going to see it in the life of Samson. He's led by what he sees with his eyes. He's led by what he sees with his eyes. And, you know, we see what we're going to see, and not just in this study, but we're going to see in the course of time how things don't fare so well with him and his choices. And we're also going to see how Samson has a problem with lust. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and it breaks my heart. And, you know, if I could speak to every single teenage boy who's listening, number one, I love you. But then number two, take the life of Samson to heart. Take the life of Samson to heart. And yes, he has beautiful, beautiful godly parents. Beautiful godly parents. But Samson has to walk for himself. He has to make his own. I mean, he's he's not a, a little kid here in Judges 14. He's not a little kid. It's one thing when he's, you know, five years old and he can receive direction and instruction from mama and papa and get the little love taps, you know, the little dub, double taps for, you know, from, from time to time, the good double taps, not the bad double taps and get the good double taps from now, you know, every, every now and then when he makes a bad decision, when he's five, when he's eight, when he's 10, but here he's a, he's a grown man. And he has to make his own decisions. And it's so beautiful because, you know, you, you see that, yes, he has godly parents. Remember our study from last week? But at the same time, he has to make his own decisions. He has to make his own choices. You see, Jesus, our Lord, he speaks of eyes. But of these eyes, he says, not everyone sees. He speaks of ears, but not everyone hears. You see? And to my young brothers in Christ, I understand the eagerness of youth. And there's nothing wrong with the eagerness of youth. Nothing wrong with it at all. Only this. It must always, always, always take a back seat to the Lord. It must always take a back seat to the Lord. I understand the excitement and exuberance of certain things in life and certain events in life, but they must always take a back seat to the Lord. And to my young brothers in Christ, whom I love. This is something we see also in the daughter of Jephthah. You say, wait a second, I thought you said you want to speak to teenage boys and you bring up the, you bring up the daughter, you bring up Jephthah's daughter. Yes. Yes, a godly example in a female. Remember, in Christ, there is no male-female. There is no male nor female in Christ. 
And we can learn from our sisters in Christ, but at the same time, understand, you know, as males, I mean, speaking to, to, to the men, to the, to, the, to the males, boys and men, as males, we are part of the bride of Christ. You see, remember in Christ, no male nor female. I mean, look at Chloe. Look at the example we have in Chloe. Look at the example we have in Deborah. Remember how Deborah was jumper cables to Barak? And these are, these are things that we study in, in, in the book of Judges. But at the same time, there are all, also uh, uh, mentions. Remember Barak mentioned in the halls of faith in our study in Hebrews? And you look at the daughter of Jephthah. A godly example because she had eagerness. She had eagerness to be a mom. She had an eagerness to be a mom. And it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. She wanted to be a mom. Looking forward to the day where she could have a husband and, you know, have a baby. Looking forward to that. But it took a backseat to obedience unto the Lord and bringing honor to the Lord. You see? And yes, it was a vow of her dad. But at the same time, when you see submission, Jephthah unto the Lord and the daughter unto him, it really says a lot about the Christian home. You see, when the formula is right. When the formula is right. And we also, remember, we, we, we stress, you know, observe Israel according to the flesh. Observe Israel according to the flesh, because according to the spirit, the same thing applies to you and me in our homes. I mean, if you're a teenage boy or, you know, a teenage girl, even for that matter, and mama and papa, they're in obedience unto the Lord and they're living in submission unto the Lord. That's such a beautiful thing. It's such a powerful thing. It's such a beautiful thing. And understand when they give you direction, when mama and papa are in submission to the Lord and they give you instruction, you follow that instruction because they're helping you. You can learn from their example. But if mama and papa are crazy and, you know, dad says, hey, son, go to the corner and pick me up some crack. You cannot do that. You cannot do that because you know, as a teenager and when you're young and you, you, you live under your, your parents' roof, you know, and, and if dad says, hey, son, I want you to go to the corner, pick me up some crack. You cannot do that. Why? Because you have to be in submission unto the Lord. And if dad wants to be crazy, that's one thing. That's between him and the Lord. If mom wants to be crazy, that's between her and the Lord. But as for you, and I don't care, you might be five years old, you might be 10 years old, you might be 15 years old. I mean, I care about your age, but I don't, you know, any age. I mean, you know, when you're a kid. And it's very important to understand that our obedience is unto the Lord. But when mama and papa are in obedience unto the Lord and in submission themselves unto the Lord. That's such a beautiful thing. You know that you can safely submit to your, to, to your mom and dad, to mama and papa. You know that you can do that. And it's so powerful when we understand that Jesus Christ, 
He's Lord of the church. Yes, he's the head pastor of every church. He's the head of every single church. Jesus Christ is the head of every single church. And so you might look at a church, look at a church where that's gone into crazy town. They're in big trouble. That's why we say, you know, if the formula is not right in the church, you cannot go there. Because when Jesus Christ is the, the head of every church and a church wants to go off into crazy town and do crazy things, they want to have their defunct pastor, their defunct elders and do all kinds of crazy things. They're in big trouble with the head. Big trouble. Remember, it is prophesied. Judgment comes first to the church. And that's what happens in the church. But the same thing applies to the home. Jesus Christ is the head of every home. Every home. And so, just like with pastors, you know, if a pastor wants to be crazy, you cannot submit to the pastor. And if, if, if dad says, hey, son, go to the corner, pick me up some crack, you cannot do that. I'm sorry, pops. You might be 10 years old. You might be 13 years old. I'm sorry, pops. That's not happening. Because, and you be a witness to your dad. Be a witness to your mom. Respectfully, of course. I have to be in submission to Jesus Christ. You're asking me to do something, but I cannot do it. Because I'm in submission to the Lord. And I want you to be too, but you know, you have your balls in your court, pops. Balls in your court, mom. I love you, but you know, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. You see? And look at the example we see in the beautiful daughter. Yes, daughter. Even for my younger brothers in Christ, you might be 10 years old. Thinking, I don't want an example from a girl. You might be 13 years old. I don't need an example from a girl. But in Christ, there is no male, female. Look at the beautiful example we have in the daughter of Jephthah. How, yes, she has her desires. Looking forward to be a wife, looking forward to being a mom and having babies and, you know, whatever the moms do when they raise their kids. I'm in a godly example, but, you know, I, I can't relate to that in the, the way a female can. But yet, look at this beautiful example we have in the daughter of Jephthah. You see? And we can learn. She had this eagerness, looking forward to it. When she could be a mom. But it took a back seat to the Lord. You see, just like when Jesus Christ says, Father, take this cup from me, but Lord, not my will, thy will. And this is something you see among the godly, where the godly say, not my will, thy will. Look at the daughter of Jephthah. And yes, she went to grieve because she wanted it. You see, she was looking forward. You know, I can't wait to the moment when I'm a wife, when I can have my babies. She couldn't wait for that. And she goes and she grieves. And then you look at her friends too. And her friends didn't like, you know, talk smack about her dad. They didn't coerce her to, do, to be in disobedience. No, they joined, they aligned with her and they joined her and they grieved together. They mourned together. And then all of a sudden, her life as an offering unto the Lord. 
And remember, we stress, observe Israel according to the flesh, according to the flesh, according to the flesh. It's very important because we understand covenants, the rules of engagement according to covenant. But as for you, as for me, at any age, five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, 50 years old, 90 years old, our lives as a sacrifice unto the Lord according to the Spirit. You see? And the beautiful daughter of Jephthah. Samson could have learned a lot from her example. You see? The more dead you are in Christ, according to the Spirit, but the more dead you are in Christ, when you take your desires, every single desire, and all of it takes a backseat unto the Lord. Just like Jesus. Father, take this cup from me. But not my will, thy will. You see, what a beautiful example we have in our Lord himself. And those who have intimacy with the Lord, look at the examples we have the daughter of Jephthah. I don't know her name. The Bible doesn't say her name. I wish, I can't wait to discover her name. You see? And the more dead you are in Christ, the less eagerness that you will have for the things of the flesh. I mean, you know, you hear me say, you know, take, take all your passions and let them have a backseat unto the Lord, which is a good thing. That is a beautiful thing. But if you take all your passions and it's like, you know, sex and rock and roll and this and then things of the world and things of the flesh and the carnal nature, yes, those absolutely take a backseat to the Lord. And then when you go to the Lord, the Lord's going to say, hey, those things aren't good. But then all of a sudden, something's going to happen in the course of time. As you reckon the old man dead, as you reckon the old woman dead, or if you're younger, as you reckon the old boy dead, or you reckon the old girl dead. You might be 13 years old and you as well have these desires like, wow, you know, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for that. You know, certain events in life. And maybe even their carnal things of the flesh. And it's a good thing when those take a backseat unto the Lord. But as you reckon your old nature to be dead, it is no longer that guy who lives. It is no longer that gal who lives. It is no longer that boy who lives. It is no longer that girl who lives. Something's going to change about your desires. Your desires aren't going to be for things of the flesh. Your desires are going to change. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ. And you'll be eager not for the things of the flesh. You'll be eager for the things of the spirit. Remember the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful daughters of Philip? Prophetesses. Prophet, prophetess daughters of Philip. You see? They're different. They're changed. They have, a, they have, you know, desires, but their desires are not carnal. Things of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit. Using gifts of the Spirit. And this is why formula matters because, you know, some fellowships, some fellowships, some denominations, 
They say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The gifts of the Spirit, that's not for today. You see, they're in big trouble with the head of every church, Jesus Christ. They're in big trouble. You see, eventually Samson, in the life of Samson, he does become a judge of Israel. He does become a judge. And we're going to see things about his nature that left unchecked, they do bring about problems for him. And something I want to say to men, both young and old, men and boys, males, young and old, on the topic of lust, left unchecked, it will present problems for you as well. You see? Give it to the Lord. You have problems with lust? Give it to the Lord. And as Jesus says, not my will, thy will. You give it all to the Lord. Thy will, Lord. You see? And so Samson, he wants to be married. And what does he do? He sees a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. And he goes to his parents. He goes to mama and papa. And in verse 2, he says, now therefore get her for me as a wife. You see? Get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother, verse 3, then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people? Remember, they were of the tribe of Dan. And so his parents ask him, you know, wait a second. There, you, you, there, there's nobody from, from Dan. There's nobody from our tribe. And if there's nobody from our tribe, there's nobody from all Israel. And something I want to say to parents There comes a time when every single parent has to let go of their kids. I mean, if a child is five, I understand. If a child is 10, I understand. If a child is 14, I understand. But as the child gets older, you have to let go. They have to flap their wings, so to speak. But even still, when they're flapping their wings, you still have opportunity to make suggestions. You cannot manipulate or coerce. You cannot do that. A child themselves. I mean, when a child is five, that's one thing. When a child is 10, that's another thing. But when a child is 20, when a kid is 30, when a kid is 40, parents, you cannot lord over them. Because that's called manipulation. And that opens the door to wickedness. So even for parents, when you let go of your kids, you hold on to them according to the Spirit. And you pray for them. And you can even make suggestions, just like Mama and Papa are doing here. Like, wait, wait a second. Yeah, you're in Timna, you see this girl, you want to get married to her, like, we have no people here in Dan of our tribe? There's no Danite, Danite women? And if there's no Danite women, there's in all Israel, there's, there's no women? You see? They're saying their peace. They're saying what they have to say. But you don't see manipulation. You see? 
Because Samson has to choose for himself. And if you're a parent and you have like kid, like you know, 10-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid, understand that in the course of time, as the kid becomes, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, you're, there's gonna have to be a transition from parenting. Where you let go according to the flesh, but you keep holding on according to the spirit. You cannot manipulate. And prayerfully, the child has already chosen the Lord at age five, at age eight, at age 10, at age 13. Hopefully, the child has already chosen the Lord and is walking with the Lord. You see, parents have a big responsibility because the Lord desires godly offspring. And so a child has to choose for himself. A child has to choose for herself. You see? And so the parents, mama and papa of Samson, like, wait a second. You know, you're Tim Timna, you see this girl, you want to get married to her? Like, wait a second, we, we don't have anybody? There's nobody here in Dan? There's nobody here in Israel? You say, wait a second, this is the Old Testament. Come on, what are you trying to say? Well, this happens in the church. Remember, don't be unequally yoked. Then you have, you know, Boys and girls, you know, they want to get married. You know, they're 18, 19, 20, 25, whatever age they want to get married. It's like, okay, there's nobody in the church. There's, there's no females in the church. There's no males in the church. You see? They go to the nightclub and they get their boyfriend. They go to the nightclub and they get their girlfriend. It's like, wait a second, what's the kid doing in the nightclub? See, it goes back to the parents. What have you taught? What have you taught, mom and dad? What have you taught? You see, the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. But the church is the church. And I don't say church like a blanket statement. When I say church, I speak of koinonia, ecclesia, love feast. A body of those who are called. Now, if you're listening for the first time, it's, you think like, well, what, what's the difference? Church is church. Go back and listen to our study from uh, 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 1 Corinthians all the way to James. You'll understand more. Church isn't a blanket statement. Koinonia, Ecclesia, Love Feast, that's special. Very rare, but it's special. It is holy. Just like Brother Peter says, be holy for I am holy. You know, thus saith the Lord, be holy, for the Lord is holy. You see, very important. Today, we've lost the concept of holiness. It's sad because it's happened in the church. The concept of holiness is forgotten. And just like we see in the book of Judges, it's possible for the Lord to become forgotten in the church. You know what the Bible calls that? Apostasy. Apostasy, which is prophesied to happen. And so the Bible, just as we see in Old Testament and New Testament that it is entirely possible, it's going to be on overdrive in the last days. It's going to happen. And so Mama and Papa of Samson, like, wait a second, we, we have no female. Dan, in the tribe of Dan, we got nobody. And if there's nobody in the tribe of Dan, of all Israel, we got nobody. 
You see, in verse 3, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the, from the uncircumcised Philistines? You see, now remember, the Philistines, they're kind of like in charge right now. And Samson wants a wife from that group, the uncircumcised? Now to my Jewish friends whom I love. You may wonder how it is possible that a judge of Israel can possibly have a Gentile wife, but it's nothing new at all. Nothing new at all. I mean, there is another deliverer of Israel who has a Gentile wife, and his name is Joseph. You see? And sometimes I have these conversations with Jewish people. And I love you. There's a lot. You know, sometimes when I have these conversations, the Jews are like, oh, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. I got to be careful with you. And I get that. You know, you Jews, you have to be careful with Christians because there's a lot of crazy, a lot of crazies in Christendom. Replacement theology, anti-Semitism. The branch doesn't support the root. The root supports the branch. And in me, you have a friend. I love you. And sometimes, you know, when, when we speak about Jesus, you know, a lot of the Jews, they're like, well, you know, that, that, that's crazy. You know, you Gentiles this, you Gentiles that, that's crazy. But in your very text, my Jewish, my beloved Jewish friends, you have a deliverer with a Gentile wife in Joseph. You have a judge with a Gentile wife in Samson. You see, don't count it as a strange thing that we have deliverer and judge in Jesus because it's nothing new at all. And so with Samson, mama and papa are like, wait a second, we have nobody, there's no females, son. That you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said to her, get her for me, for she pleases me well. You see, in the Hebrew that translates, she pleases my eye. Men. Men. Young and old. When you have eyes to see, the Lord will give you a new perspective on what beauty is. He will change the way you see. He will change the way you see. But you have to reckon the old man dead. The old guy, he has to be dead. The old boy, he has to be dead. Eight-year-olds with their cell phones now, looking at dirty pictures on their phones. Eight-year-olds. And it's younger. I mean, I mean yeah, yeah. look at what they're showing kids, what, what the schools are showing their kids nowadays. What they're teaching kids. Oh, sex education, sex education, sex education. And they're perverting kindergartners. You see? Oh, we got to teach the kids about sex education and this and that and this. You see? The Bible is becoming hate speech. And the word became flesh and Jesus says, remember, they hated me first. You stand up for righteousness. 
you will be hated. And the world has its idea of what beauty is. But the Bible has its own perspective. And the word of God will teach you. The Lord will teach you. Oh, it's you and me. We have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I don't care how dirty you are. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. And you come to Christ. And all of a sudden something happens. Because the Lord cleans his own fish. And he cleans you up. And all of a sudden things change. Your speech is different. Things change where, you know, your friends go and say, hey, let's go to the strip club. And you're like, hey, no, you know, at first it's like, no, I can't do that because you want to honor the Lord. At first, oh, I can't do that. And then your friends start to realize like, okay, we're not, we're not going to call them anymore. Then another set of friends go, hey, you know what? We got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. Come on, let's go get baked. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go have some fun. And at first you're like, no, I can't do that because you want to honor the Lord. And in the course of time, as the transformation continues, you don't even want it. You don't even want it. Because the Lord is changing you. And these are big distinctions that we have to make. You know, you hear us in our, in our studies in, 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 on Sundays when we look at the New Testament. You know, when babies stay babies, that's not a good thing. But if you're a Christian and you know you're still cursing, if you've been a Christian for like three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and you're still cursing, or if you're a Christian and you've, you know, you've been in the church for 10 years, 20 years, and you're still doing the, you know, the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll, there's a problem. There's a problem. And I say this with the utmost of love, but there is a problem. And yes, you know, you have choices to make, but I blame the teacher. Who in the world is your pastor? Who in the world is your pastor? Because we see the exact same problems in Corinth. For three years, the babies stayed babies for three years. That's what happens when leadership is defunct. Leadership is defunct, you see? Chloe knew it. Chloe saw it. It's very important to make these distinctions. And if that's you, you're a believer, and you know you have these problems, the, the, the works of the flesh, and you have these problems, listen, I love you, I love you, I love you, but you need a new pastor to teach you well and to teach you what is right and to teach you on the ways of holiness and not just the ways of holiness so that you can understand the promises of the Lord and effectuation of God's promises and for God's promises and baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's power. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget the two baptisms. We just studied this a couple weeks ago on our Sunday study. Introduction to 1 Peter. Don't forget the two baptisms. Baptism of repentance 
and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember Acts chapter 8? Philip the evangelist? The believers, they were Christians. And they came to Christ and they had the baptism of repentance. They came to Christ. What they did not have was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, John and Peter, fully qualified, full package. Remember our pastoral epistles? Full package. They come, they lay hands, and what happens? They receive the Holy Spirit, except for one, because he was wicked. And you might have a problem with the sex and the drugs and the rock and roll and the whole nine yards, and you might feel hurt. And this is going to hurt you even more. I'm thankful for that pain. Not for the sake of the pain, but of what it produces. Godly repentance, godly sorrow. Remember Paul when he spoke of godly sorrow? When he says, I, I didn't want to tell you these things, but I'm thankful. I'm glad that I did. I didn't want to say this, but I'm glad I did. Why? Because godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. And so you're like, oh, wait a second. You know, wow, I, I, I listened to this message and I want to feel good about myself. Well, listen, I want all of us, 100% of us to feel good and have joy and rejoice in the Lord. I want that. I desire that. But the problem with the flesh, the problem with the carnal nature is that sometimes it's more appropriate to weep and mourn and lament just like we see in the book of James. Why? Because of leaven. Because of leaven. And the leaven always, 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 always has to be addressed. So what do we do? Let's get you cleaned up. Repent. Repent, repent, repent. You see? And men, I love you. Boys, I love you. Men, I love you. Every single male, I love you. I mean, females too, but men, when you have eyes to see and you understand these things of holiness, beautiful things, the Lord will change. The Lord will change what, how you see beauty. You're not going to like the things that you used to like. You're going to love and adore beautiful, beautiful things. What you consider to be gorgeous according to the flesh is worlds apart from what real beauty is and what you consider to be gorgeous according to the Spirit. And if you're male and you're, you know, you have a problem with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and I've heard pastors before, they say, you know, you can look, but don't touch. You can look, but don't touch. Pastors at the pulpit, men's group. You can look, you can't touch. That's unbiblical. That's wrong teaching. Because Jesus says, you look and you lust, boom, you've, it's already a done deal. It's already a done deal. Why? Because you lust in your heart. And today you have eight-year-olds doing the pornography on their cell phones. Cell phones that bought and paid by mama and papa. You see? Parents, don't forget the millstone. 
You want, you know, your kid, oh, mommy, no, dad, you know, I want a cell phone. I want a cell phone. I want a cell phone. And so parents, you know, instead the parents, they, they get parented by the, by the kid. They say, okay, son. Okay, son. I'll get you your cell phone. Here's your cell phone. You know, 10 years old doing his pornography. You see, don't forget the millstone. Parents. Very important. We're living in the last days. We're living in the last days and it's going to get more wicked and 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 more wicked. But look at the wickedness that can already be seen. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. I don't say these things like, you know, this is how you ought to live. No, it's how we ought to live. For all of us to be clean before the Lord. Clean before the Lord. You get dirty? Okay, let's get you cleaned up. You see? And so Samson, he sees this woman, remember verse 2? And she pleases his eyes. And now what does he want? He wants her. You see? And in verse 3, you know, get her for me for she pleases me well. You see? And in verse 4, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Now, in the Hebrew, this translates as God was searching for opportunity. And this is a big deal. This is very important. Because with the Lord, we also see a measure with the Lord. We also see that he is judicious. We see measure with him. Because this is where Calvinism and the Reformed, they tend to get this wrong. I shouldn't say they tend to get this wrong. They do get it wrong. You see, I was very recently, and you know, this particular individual, you might be listening, but I was very recently in a, I guess you could say, debate with a Calvinist. It wasn't really a debate. You know, I was just, you know, saying what I had to say and... And he tells me, you know, if God wanted to, he could wipe everybody out. If God wanted to, he could wipe everybody out. And I get that. I get the argument. I get the point. If God wanted to, he could just wipe everybody out. I get it. But there's a problem. We don't see that in scripture. We don't see that with his nature. We see that he is judicious. We see that he is loving. And even with Egypt, the destruction of Egypt wasn't overnight. Even the coming destruction, it's not overnight. And there's something else. The vessels that God chooses and uses, that transformation and that forming also isn't overnight. I mean, when you see these decisions, what Samson is doing, like, you know, I see that woman, I want her. You see that and you're like, well, wait, you're like, what? What's that, Samson? What's, what's going on here? It seems odd that he's going to be a judge. And he is going to be a judge. But understand that the vessels that God chooses and he uses, 
that formation of them, it's not overnight. Remember? In, then through. In, then through. The Lord does the work in, and then the Lord does the work through. We see that with Joseph. We see that with Moses. We see that with Peter, who was rebuked by the Lord. Who denied the Lord, not once, not twice, three times. And he was rebuked by Paul as well. Peter was rebuked by Paul. Remember our study in Galatians when Peter was wanted to go back to the law? Peter almost got trapped in that. And Paul rebuked him publicly. You see? And even with Paul. In, then through. And we're going to see it in Samson as well. And you're going to see, just like we see in verse 2 and 3, it's like, well, I mean, in verse 1, 2, and 3, it's like, whoa, Samson, you know, he sees, he likes, he wants. And the Lord's going to do a work in him too. We're going to see in Samson the ups and downs. We're going to see in Samson pride and humility. Which is why we look at Judges 13. And look at God's promises to Mama and Papa. You see? Very important to understand. Because a lot of people, they look at the life of Samson, they say, okay, it's about the hair. Oh, it's about the lady. Oh, it's about Samson. It's about the hair. It's about him. It's about this. It's about that. It's about, you know, different aspects of Samson. But very rarely will you hear somebody even mention Mama and Papa. But we mention Mama and Papa. God's promises unto Mama and Papa. Just like we studied last week in Judges 13. Because in the life of Samson, something else is happening. And it's not entirely captured in Scripture. But I can't wait to meet Samson's mom and dad. I cannot wait. Because I want to ask them how they prayed for their son. I want to ask them how they interceded for their son. And look what we see happen here. In verse, in verse 3 at the end, Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. In verse 4, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. And how this translates is God was searching for opportunity. God was searching for opportunity. So what happens in the course of time, you see, just like with Egypt, the Lord moved against Egypt, but that wasn't overnight. But meanwhile, something else was happening. He was doing a work in Moses and through Moses, and something else was happening. Israel also had to learn. Israel also had to learn. Because the plagues, they also fell on Israel. Goshen wasn't at the very beginning. 
The plagues impacted everybody. But in the course of time, the plagues, they didn't impact everybody. They only impacted Egypt. Why? Because Israel, they had to learn. And these are things that take time. Look at, look at Peter in, in, our, in, our, in our study, in, in the introduction to 1 Peter. Look how beautiful. I mean, it's like, you know, like, wow, look at him go. Look at him run. Look at him honor the Lord. And it's so beautiful. But then you hit the rewind button and you see, wow, like he was rebuked by the Lord. He denied the Lord. Not once, not twice, three times. See, the Lord knows what he's working with. And when the Lord is searching for opportunity, you see, in this recent debate I had, the Calvinist fellow, oh, you know, if God wanted to, he could wipe everybody out. And I, I get the argument. But we don't see that in Scripture. We see his nature. We see his character. Even with Jonah, remember Jonah? He was like, you know, he, you know, like almost like set up a picnic. He wanted to just sit there and watch Nineveh get destroyed. Watch Nineveh get destroyed. But Nineveh did not get destroyed. Nineveh. Nineveh, oppressors of Israel. Nineveh received mercy they received grace and they came to the lord you see it's very important to understand and so we see in verse 4 for at that time the philistines had dominion over israel now remember israel is just like our study from last week israel again did evil in the lord's sight but the lord became forgotten and the Lord is at work at this particular juncture. The Lord is at work. Remember, he's looking for opportunity, looking, seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Now, he doesn't flat out just move against the Philistines. But he's seeking the occasion. He's looking for the opportunity. And we see how the Lord works. We start to understand the Lord's ways. Because anytime you see wrath in the Bible, anytime you see judgment in the Bible, precursor to those two things, wrath and judgment, you know what it is? Grace. Grace and mercy. Just like we see in the last days, how God's wrath is coming. God's judgment is coming. I mean, at the individual level, judgment has already happened. God's wrath has already happened at the individual level, especially when you read Romans 1. Go back and listen to our study through Romans 1. You'll understand more. But on a global level, on a regional level, I mean, you hear us say that in our studies, you hear us say about that God's wrath is coming, God's judgment is coming, but you also hear us say that the door of grace is still open. It's still open. You see? And so, at the same time, you, you know, the, the, in the life of Samson, you, we can never forget Mama and Papa. We can never forget Mama and Papa and what the Lord said to them. 
about their son that wasn't even yet conceived. It's one thing to be pregnant and receive promises of the Lord, which is beautiful. It's one thing to have like a little boy and receive promises from the Lord. It's beautiful. But to be barren, not be able to have children and receive promises from the Lord. And that's what happened with mama and papa. Promises that God gave them. You see? And as we see the ups and the downs of Samson, never forget mama and papa. And so we see here in verse 5, so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. See, no weapons, no weapons. And there's a dead lion. He tore it apart. You see, he tore it apart. Very strong, very strong. Notice the spirit of the Lord came upon him, mightily upon him. By hand, he didn't have any weapons. He has the power of the spirit of the Lord. And this is the same spirit, the same spirit that inspired Peter to write his letter. The same spirit that inspired Isaiah to write his letters. His words. Remember the dominoes from Sunday? The domino effects from our Sunday study? Things that were put in motion long ago. Things that are peered into. Remember? He had nothing in his hand. But yet we see the Spirit of the Lord. And we see in verse six, but he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. And then he went down and in verse seven, then he went down and talked with the woman. You see, so this is the Philistine woman and she pleased Samson well. In verse eight, after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Very interesting what we see here. In verse 9, he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. And they also ate, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now, to my Jewish friends, whom I love, I love you. To my Jewish friends, your very texts prove that Samson was absolutely a judge of Israel. And yet we see a carcass. We see eating from the carcass. They eat the honey. And they live. They're still alive. Remember what the law says about the carcass. They're alive. Remember mama and papa last week? They see the Lord. And they're alive. In Psalm 119, we see the words that say, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
Understand the word became flesh. And to my Jewish friends, what you consider to be an abomination is understandable. It's completely understandable. And I've had these conversations with Jews, Jews who know the text to a certain degree, because Moses, he wrote of Jesus. Torah, Moses wrote of Jesus. And I get, you know, when the Christian comes to you, consider it to be an abomination. When somebody speaks of Jesus Christ, it's so wild to even fathom these promises unto the Gentiles. But don't count it as a strange thing. That the deliverer of Israel has a Gentile wife. We see it in Joseph. It is no strange thing at all. Don't count it as a strange thing that we see a judge of Israel who has a Gentile wife. It's happened before in Samson. Moses wrote of Jesus. And I understand if you're listening and you're Jewish, I understand you consider certain things to be an abomination according to Moses. But there's only one way that is it. It isn't. There's only one way. Only one way. And it is of Melchizedek and of Judah. Moses wrote about Jesus. Look at verse 10. So his father went down to the woman and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. This was a custom with marriage. It was a feast. And verse 11, and it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle, pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, verse 14, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. You see, that's, that's, that's the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet. Notice what happens. Now for three days, they could not explain the riddle, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, remember the deal in verse 12. Remember the deal. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. In verse 13, but if you cannot, then you shall give me 30 linen garments. So on the seventh day, it was, you know, deadline that they said to Samson's wife, you see, they say to Samson's wife. So the marriage, it's, it's happened at this point. Because, you know, now we see a wife. So it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband. Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us. 
or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? So remember the deal. If they cannot answer, they have to give garments to Samson. And they're the guests. They're the guests at the wedding. You see, and now the guests at the wedding, they're threatening Samson's wife. You know, if, if you don't explain the riddle, we're going to burn your, you and your father's house. What a mess. What a mess we see happening. I mean, some wedding. Some wedding. And some might look at this and say, well, wait a second. God is doing it. God is doing it. Well, understand, when we look at verse 4, God is searching for opportunity. But that doesn't mean the path won't be bumpy. I mean, to give you an example, when you use GPS, when you use GPS, a GPS device, say you're using a phone that has GPS, and you're driving in your car, and you have your GPS, well, when you miss a turn, what does GPS do? GPS reroutes you. It's going to be a longer drive, but you're going to be rerouted. But what if you miss two turns? What if you miss three turns? What if you miss 20 turns? The journey is going to be longer. But GPS is going to be searching for opportunity to direct you properly. How much more with the Lord? How much more with the Lord? We walk according to his ways. You and me. We walk according to his ways, not according to sight. We walk by faith. That's how we walk. And the spirit of the Lord may say, okay, right turn here. And hopefully we turn right. The spirit of the Lord says, okay, turn left. And hopefully we turn left. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we miss the turn. The Spirit of the Lord says, turn right. Sometimes we go straight. The Spirit of the Lord says, turn left. Sometimes we turn right. And when that happens, not if, when that happens, the Lord is searching for opportunity to reroute. Just like GPS, the Lord is searching for opportunity to reroute. It's going to be a longer journey. It's shorter if, you know, we, you know, the Spirit says, turn left, and we turn left. It's shorter that way. these are things that we have to learn individually and as a body these are things that must be learned remember the 11 day journey became 40 years they passed the jordan they crossed the jordan but it was a lot longer journey much longer journey the same applies to you and me Every single one of us wants to grow in Christ and mature in Christ and then next level become deadly in Christ. The good deadly. Remember the, the demons you know, with, the, with the sons of Siva in our study in the book of Acts? You know, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who in the world are you guys? Who in the world are you? They certainly knew the Lord. They certainly knew Jesus. Remember with Legion, you know, have you come before our time, before the time? Have you come before the time? They know who Jesus is. But the deadly, 
They knew who Paul was as well. You see? And that's the good deadly. That's the good deadly. That's when Paul says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. Because the Spirit says turn left, Paul's turning left. The Spirit says turn right, Paul's turning right. And he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But whether or not you follow, you have to know formula. Because, you know, uh, Alexander and Hymenaeus, they can say, follow me as I follow Christ. And a lot of saints did. The saints in Asia, they did. This is going back to, you know, our study through the, uh, you know, the, the pastoral epistles, letters to Timothy. Alexander Jimenez, follow me as I follow Christ. And everybody did. The saints in Asia, they left. They left Paul. You see? Anybody can say, follow me as I follow Christ. But whether or not you or I follow you and me together, we have to know and understand formula. Because when Alexander says, follow me, nope, that's not happening. When Hymenaeus says, follow me, nope, that's not happening. Wrong formula, Alexander. Wrong formula, Hymenaeus. You see? But when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, and we understand formula, knowing that Paul watches out for our soul. Okay, we'll follow you, Paul. Onward to paradise. Let's go. You see? When James says, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, James, we'll follow. Come on, let's go. Onward to paradise. You see? Turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right. But when Hymenaeus says, follow me, we know formula. No, no. That's nice. Have a nice day, Hymenaeus. See ya. Alexander, you know what? Have a nice day. See ya. All the saints in Asia follow them. And they're getting further and further and further and further and further away from the Lord. You see? This is when the Spirit of the Lord inspires Paul to activate the next generation of leadership. Timothy, Titus, Philemon. The next generation of leadership. It's also around the same time that the Spirit of the Lord uses another vessel in Peter to write his letters. And it just so happens these are the things that we're studying on Sunday, First Peter. You see? It's very important to understand how the Lord works and how beautiful is it to look at the life of Samson. But and when we look at the life of Samson, we have the backdrop of Torah. We have the backdrop of the book of Joshua and a large chunk of the book of Judges. But as new covenant believers, we also have, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, from 1 Corinthians. I mean, we have, you know, uh, gospel and then also Romans too. But, you know, from 1 Corinthians all the way to 1 Peter. And how beautiful it is to look at these studies 
with the it is also written in mind. You see? And just like when you're driving, if you and me were driving, well, I mean, you know, one of us would be driving, the other one would be in the passenger seat. And we miss the turn. GPS says turn right and we miss the turn. GPS is going to be searching for opportunity, you know, okay, you know, you'll even see it on the phone. You know, if you're driving, say you're driving and I'm in the passenger, you don't, don't look at the phone because, you know, we got to be safe. But it's going to take, it's not immediate. It's going to take some time, a couple seconds, you know, if you're on 3G, you know, 10 seconds. It's going to take some time. And you'll even see the little swirl sometimes, you know, rerouting, 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 dot, 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 and then boom. Take the next right. And it's going to be longer. But GPS is searching. And how much more with our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. I mean, you look at the life of Paul. He killed Christians. Paul. Christians died at the hand of Paul. Christians were imprisoned at the hand of Paul. And look what God did with Paul. In Paul and through Paul. Look what the Lord did. Look at Peter. Look at Peter. Rebuked by Jesus. Denied the Lord three times. He was rebuked by Paul also. And look what the Lord did. What about you? What about you? Have you ever made a boneheaded mistake? I have. Have you ever made a boneheaded mistake? You see? The rerouting. The Lord will reroute. And the Lord does reroute. Because He wants us to be in paradise. He wants you and me in paradise. Remember, God sent His Son not to the, into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. The Lord says, turn right, we turn left. The Lord says, turn right, we go straight. Well, the Lord's going to reroute, searching for opportunity. You see? Just like GPS. We walk a narrow path. We walk a narrow path. But don't forget, it's still going to be bumpy sometimes. It's still going to be bumpy. It's a narrow path, yes. It's still going to be bumpy and we're still going to have the ups and we're still going to have the downs. Very important to remember that. And so we see here in verse 16... Then Samson's wife wept on him. So remember the, the, the Philistines, the guests at the wedding. Now they threaten his wife. They threaten his wife. You know, tell us what the riddle is or else we're going to, you know, burn your, you, you and your father's house with, with, with fire. You know, have you invited us? Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? They're the guests and they're threatening. Some party, huh? Some wedding. And in verse 16, then Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. I have to be careful here. 
You only hate me. You don't love me. You hate me. And she starts to trick her husband. Manipulation to get what she wants. And what does she want? She wants an answer to the riddle. Now you hear me say, I got to be careful here. And yes, I do have to be careful here. You know why? Because what happens is the wife starts to engage in nagging, nagging. That's what happens. And in verse 16, we see here, uh, the, the wife is weeping on him. You only hate me. You don't love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. What a mess. What a mess that we see happening already. Remember the parents? Remember mama and papa? Samson, Samson, our beautiful boy. Samson, our son. We got no women in Dan. And if there's no women in Dan, we got no women in Israel. You have to go to the uncircumcised. You see, Samson has his own walk. Samson has his own choices to make. Remember, obedience is a learned thing. Remember our study in Hebrews? Obedience unto the Lord, that is a learned thing. And when we see this walk of Samson, when we see these choices, pretty quick to make these decisions. He sees, he likes, he wants. Males, young and old, teenage boys. Learn from Samson. Learn from Samson. Don't rush into your decisions. Pray about every decision and go to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do, Lord? You have passions, you have desires. Give it to the Lord. I mean, sometimes with certain passions, I mean, if it's passions of the flesh, passions and desires of the carnal nature, you might feel kind of like, like, this is the Lord. I can't give him this. You know, like, you, you know, you got the, the passions and desires for sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the whole nine yards. It's like, I can't give this to the Lord. He's clean and I'm dirty. Give it to the Lord. Give it to the Lord. And you know what? He'll clean you. He'll clean you. You see? He cleans his own fish. A new mind, a transformation. A transforming of the mind. Remember, we, we come to Christ at 0%. Not by works, lest any man should boast. We come to Christ at 0%. And from 0%, we go to 99.999%. 100%, we're going to be dead. But we come to Christ at 99.999%. But even in that journey from 0 to 99.999, we're going to have the ups and the downs like Samson. We're going to have the ups and the downs like Paul. Paul didn't have too many. <laughs> We're going to have the ups and the downs like Peter. And sometimes I have these conversations with college students, kids that are in college, like Bible college and university. And they ask me, they, they, they speak all collegiate. Tell me, where do you get the, the doctrine of percentages? It's, you just see it. Tell me, 
Where do you get the doctrine of dominoes? You just see it. It's written plain as day. It's very important for us to understand. All of us together. On our way to paradise. The days are so wicked. The days are so evil. What we believe is considered to be hate speech in the world. And what the world calls love. The world says this is love. The world says that is love. The world says, listen, if it feels good, just do it. But you and me, we are Christians. We are Christians. The world is the world. But the church. And that's not a blanket statement. I'm talking about Smyrna and Philadelphia. Ecclesia, Koinonia, love feast. That's of the Lord. A body of those who are called. Koinonia, biblical koinonia. And so you have Samson's wife. Ay, 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 what is she doing? You hate me. You don't love me here in verse 17. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. You see? She wants to know, what is the riddle? Tell me, husband, what is the riddle? And he said to her, look. I have not explained it to my father or mother. So should I explain it to you? Wow. I mean, they could use some serious marriage counseling, Samson and his new wife. They could use some marriage counseling. And some translations straight up say nagging here in this marital encounter we see here with Samson and his wife. And I have some things to say. Marriage problems. A lot of marriage problems in the church today, which is understandable. I get it. It's understandable. You know, we're, we're, we learn to walk according to the spirit. That is a learned thing. Obedience is a learned thing. And when there is a plethora of defunct at the pulpit, I don't expect to see, you know, still waters on large scale. Green pastures on large scale. Just like in Corinth, there's a whole lot of mess. To men with marriage problems, you chose her. To women with marriage problems, you chose him. I mean, look at all the opportunity to not walk down the path of marriage where, you know, a guy says, hi, you know, just guy, hi. Let's expand that. A guy says, hi there, right there, right there, right then and there. A lady could say hi and bye, but she doesn't. And then a guy can say, hey, can I have your number? And right there, she can say, no, but she doesn't. They meet for coffee, 
Formal courtship happens the entire time. Either person, male or female, any of them, they can say, you know what? It's not working out. I don't like the way you slurp. I don't like your demeanor. You're rude to people. I don't like your politics. I don't like your stance on X, Y, Z. I don't like your position on one, two, three. I don't like what you have to say about, you know, uh, DEF. You say you're a Christian, but you don't behave like one. I don't like that. Or you have a wayward eye. So many opportunities to pull a plug. So many opportunities to say, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. So many opportunities. But that doesn't happen. And then comes the question, will you marry me? I mean, number one, the guy doesn't even have to ask, but he does. Right then and there, the lady can say, no thanks, but she doesn't. And even on wedding day, do you take this man to be your husband? Do you take this woman to be your wife? The final opportunity to pull the plug. After all that has been experienced in courtship. You see? And what happens? They continue in marriage and they become one flesh. At that point, it's a done deal. Finito. It is a done deal. You see, look at the divorce rate we see in the church today. Look at the divorce rate we see in the church. You see, it's the same as the world. It's the same as the world. Now, biblically, adultery, it's the only scenario to end a marriage. Adultery. Husband is unfaithful, wife has a choice to make. Wife is unfaithful, husband has a choice to make. And when divorce is the chosen course of action, that doesn't mean a person is single and free to mingle. No, you're done. You're done. I mean, you're a wife, husband was unfaithful, and you proceed with the divorce. Okay, that doesn't mean, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go look for a husband number two. Nope, you're done. You're a husband and, you know, wife is unfaithful. And, you know, you say, okay, marriage is done. I'm going to go look for a better wife. Nope, you're done. Oh, I'm single now. Look, I can finally get the man of my dreams. Oh, look, I'm single now. I can finally get the girl of my dreams. Nope, you're done. You know why? It becomes adultery. It becomes adultery. And the only way to marry again is when death occurs. And when you do marry, it's to marry another believer. Me, I like Paul's recommendation to not get married. You see, but even for the married, Paul says to live as though you're not. Very interesting what we see. Married people don't like hearing that. Oh, I'm married. Tell my wife to submit to me. Oh, I'm married. Tell my husband to love me. What does the Bible say? Live as though you're not married. Not so we can go to the party. Not so we can go to the bars. Not so we can go to ladies' night. Not so we can do. No. It's so that we can please the Lord. And there's not a lot of Christian couples that like hearing that. It does require maturity.
A lot of Christian couples cannot accept it. You know why? Because it requires maturity. But people don't reach that level of maturity. You know why? You remember our study in Hebrews? If the Lord permits. The Lord desires us to move on to perfection. But when babies want to stay babies, perfection doesn't happen. You see? And a lot of times what happens is that single people get enchanted by what Hollywood says is a love story. They watch their TV shows, they watch their movies, they read their books, and they say, oh, look, this is such a beautiful love story. I want this. I want this. But I tell you the truth. There is no greater love story. No greater love story than your betrothal to Jesus, Prince of Peace and King of Kings. There is no greater love story. I met a lot of times females, and it's kind of shocking, you know, to have these conversations with like little girls and they're like, well, like you know, talking about like marriage and it's like, well, you're like, you know, nine years old, I'm going to go, you know, when I was nine, I wanted to play with BB guns and you're talking about like, you know, families and stuff. It's, you know, it's, I don't get it. You know, the, the females, they kind of, they think differently from, from guys. But females, they have this idea of, oh, I want my Prince Charming. I want my Prince Charming. I want my Prince Charming. But there's no greater Prince Charming than Jesus. Prince of Peace. Your husband, according to faith. For all my teenage sisters, I love you. Never forget the better husband. And your betrothal to him, Prince of Peace, because you will have your prince. You will. And a lot of times, these young girls, you know, they watch their movies, they watch their shows. They think like, oh, look, I got my Prince Charming. This guy proposed to me. I got my Prince Charming. And he turns out to be a freak show. You see? Man, it kills me. It hurts. It hurts. It's very important to understand, to have this... I say perspective, but I don't like saying perspective. I just don't know another word for it. But we have to be heavenly minded. One time this fool, he was an elder. And he tells me, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And this fool, he's an elder. And there were other people there. And these guys at a men's fellowship. And these other people, mm, they're like nodding their head. Mm, that's so deep, brother. That's so deep, brother. I like that. Somebody like writing it down. They're writing their notes. Mm, don't be so heavenly minded. Could you say that again? Well, how, how did you say that, elder? And they write it down. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. This fool. You read Hebrews? You are no earthly good. You believe in Jesus? 
You walk with Jesus, you are no earthly good. The Bible says the world is not worthy of you. You are no earthly good. And this fool, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. We're supposed to be worldly minded? Is that what you're saying, elder? We're supposed to be worldly minded? Are you saying world mindedness is good in heaven? Because the Bible doesn't say that, elder. You see? The Bible doesn't say that, overseer. You call yourself overseer. You know what the Bible says? You're defunct, elder. You're defunct, overseer. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. This fool. Be heavenly minded. And when you're heavenly minded, you are no earthly good. This world is not worthy of you. You know why? Because you don't belong here. We're just passing through. Our home is in paradise. And my beautiful young sisters, sometimes we forget this. Nine years old, thinking about like marriage, having a family. 10 years old, thinking about marriage and family. 12 years old, 13, 14, 15, just like the beautiful daughter of Jephthah. Looking forward to motherhood, looking forward to having a family, looking forward to these things. And the beautiful daughter of Jephthah in complete and total submission to the Lord. Yes, she mourned. But I can't wait to meet her and give her a big fat hug. I cannot wait to meet her. Beautiful. I don't even know her name. And I can't wait to meet her because I what's your name? While I'm hugging her. What do I call you? I've been calling you the daughter of Jephthah. I've been calling you the beautiful daughter of Jephthah. What do I call you? I can't wait to embrace her. And for my beautiful sisters in Christ, the younger ones. 9, 10, 11, I mean, you, you have your idea of Prince Charming. But don't let that be defined by what Hollywood tells you, what the TV shows tell you, what the fiction novels tell you. Because what the Bible tells you, what the Word of God tells you, and the Word became flesh, says the Prince of Peace, he's your husband. He's your husband. You see? And so we look at Samson's wife. She's nagging him. You don't love me. You don't love me. You just hate me. In verse 16, you have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And Samson, I, I haven't even told my mom and dad. I haven't even told my father or mother. And should I explain it to you? You see? So she's nagging him. And we have to look at nagging from a biblical perspective. Very important. Do you remember not too long ago, several pages ago, we looked at Yael? Remember the tent peg? You see, her husband was aligned with the enemy of Israel. 
her husband was aligned with the enemy of Israel. Now, picture those conversations that led up to the tent peg day, where Yael might have said, beautiful Yael might have said to her husband, honey, honey, I don't think you should be so anti-Semitic. Honey, I don't think you should be so anti-Israel. Honey, I don't think you should hang out with these people that want to destroy Israel. Picture the marriage counseling. Oh, my wife nags me. My wife nags me. She, she's, she's such a nag. I cannot stand her. Tell her that she has to submit to me. Tell her that I am the authority in my home. You see, in this scenario, Yael isn't the nag. Her husband might have thought she was the nag, but she wasn't the nag. She's helper. You see? And picture the marriage counseling scenario. Oh, you know, hey, tell her to submit to me. Tell her she has to submit to me because I am the husband. I am her authority. And what I say goes, tell her to submit to me. You see? And you say, hey, husband, she's helping you. And he might laugh because he doesn't see the help. But her help is in the form of avoiding being wrong with God. That's how she's helping him. Honey, I, I don't think you should have this stance against Israel. Honey, I don't think you should hang out with these people that hate the Jews. You see? He can call it nagging all he wants. But let me tell you something. That ain't nagging at all. And this is where the understanding of formula, remember, formula, formula, formula. This is where the understanding of formula, it helps. Remember, the head of every home, the head of every home is Jesus. Everyone in the home submits to him. Husband doesn't. Okay, he made his choice. Wife and kids do. When wife submits to husband over Jesus, all kinds of mess ensues. All kinds of mess. Because Jesus is the, just as he's the head of every church. Now, you look at a church where, you know, a female pastor, and she's emergent. She churches, you know, seeker friendly, and okay, you can you can you can say okay, it's a church. You know, you can see it's a, it's this gathering. Okay, they're a church, but it's Laodicea. You see, it's Laodicea. Jesus isn't there. It's an assembly. They call it a church. It's a church. They open the Bible. They read the Bible. You have a pastor. You have pews. You have people in the pews. It's the makeup of a church. It looks like a church. But when you understand formula, you know, wait a second, that's Laodicea. Wrong formula all over the place. The formula is wrong. 
And Jesus is the head of every church. Every church. And that's why there's the prophecy that judgment comes first to the church. Because in the last days, the church is going to be all kinds of mess. We already see it. They're going to be in trouble with the Lord. That church, that pastor, they're going to be in big trouble with the Lord. That's why Jesus says to Laodicea, repent. Repent, 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 repent. You see? This is common in the church today. You know why? Because men teach from the pulpit, but they teach on matters they do not understand. Sometimes females teach from the pulpit, but they do not teach on... They teach on matters that they do not understand. It's very important to understand formula because husbands, you might be married to a nag. I mean, <laughs> that's your problem. You married her. It's just a vapor. You might be married to a nag. But if the formula is wrong in you, husband, and I love you. If the formula is wrong in you, it could be that what you presume to be a nag is actually something beautiful. And sometimes I wonder, you know, when, when men stand before the Lord, sometimes I wonder if the Lord will say to men, I gave you this helper. And a man might say, well, thank you, Lord, you know, for your spirit and the Lord. No, 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 no. I'm talking about your wife, the one I gave you, helper with the lowercase h, not the Holy Spirit. The lowercase h helper. I wonder. You see, men, if the formula, husbands, and I love you, if the formula is wrong in you, you're going to think your wife is a big nag. And it might be that she is, in fact, a nag. Or it could be that she's helping you. She's helping you to avoid being wrong with the Lord. You see? You, husband, you also have to understand the formula. You have to understand the formula. And if it's wrong in you, and I love you, you gotta repent. We gotta get you cleaned up. You gotta repent so that you can be right with the Lord. Wives, I love you, my beautiful sisters in Christ. I love you, I love you, I love you. But I'll say this don't nag, don't nag. Because if you nag, husbands tend to comply with your wishes. But something happens. A storm starts to brew on the inside of his heart and his mind. Where a nagging wife will think she's accomplished something good. She's got the smile on her face. Oh, look, I'm a good helper to my husband. I'm a good helper to my husband and she smiles and oh, look, 
I say this and he does it. I say that and he does it. Oh, look, I'm such a good helper. I'm a good wife. But what she doesn't see is that her husband is starting to hate her. She doesn't realize that she started an inferno. And the husband's heart will grow harder and harder and harder from balsa to maple to oak to pine and dreadfully to stone. And I've talked with, with, with nagging wives before. Like legit naggers. Not ones where the husband thinks she's a nag. No, well, where, where the husband thinks she's a nag and she really isn't. No, where the husband thinks she is, she's a nag and, you know, she's a bona fide nag. And you know what they say? The nagging wife? Oh, Satan, he's destroying my family. Oh, Satan, he's destroying my family. But I have a question. Where is he? I mean, no sympathy for the devil here, but where is he? Because in the case of the nagging wife, I don't see Satan. I see the fruit of one's own doing, the nagging wife who destroyed her husband, destroyed her kids, and destroyed her home. I mean, straight up, these are heavy things. These are heavy, heavy things. And what Samson is doing is a heavy thing. You know, the mom and dad, you know, we got nobody. Dan's got nobody. Israel's got nobody. These are heavy things. And when we understand what is happening from an applicational perspective, and I hate saying that, it sounds so, it sounds so textbook. You know, let's, you know, from an applicational perspective, it sounds so textbook. I don't like that. Because the word of God, every jot, every tittle has to come off the pages and into our heart. It's much deeper than textbook. Textbook is, you know, that's for the birds. It's much deeper. You take the pages of the word of God and you make every single page white. You know why? Because it comes off the pages and soaks into our hearts. In fertile soil. And yes, these are heavy subject matters. Because you know what? You might be the nagging wife. You might be the husband who hates your wife. You might be the husband who thinks your wife is a nag, but she really isn't a nag. And in all those scenarios, you know what happens? There's no peace in the home. You see? I mean, you put all this together in tandem with other prophecies, how a man's enemies will be those in his own home. And you start to see the path of the wayward soul. You have a choice to make. Every single one of us, we have choices to make. And the Lord resists the proud. Remember our study in the book of James? The Lord resists the proud. You and me together. I don't care, male, female, young, old. You and me together. We have to love. Love. Humility. We have to have a deep, profound love 
of truth, even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. Very important. Because these last days, it's wicked. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And judgment is coming. But the door of grace is open. And the Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yes, these are heavy things. And if you're listening, you know, you might like the words are sharp. You might be listening and you're like, whoa, those are sharp words. And you might be listening and think like, wow, these are hurtful words. Let me tell you something. I love you. When the words are hurtful, you know what that is? That's guilt. That happens when you feel guilt. Whenever you feel guilt from truth, the truth of God's holy word, whenever you feel guilt from God's holy word, you know what that means? Don't run away. It means you're dirty. And I tell you these things from experience. To read the Bible, to read the word of God and not be so hurt to where you close the Bible and run away. Understand when you feel guilt from reading truth and studying truth, it means you're dirty. But it doesn't end there. Something has to happen. At that point, something has to happen. You know what that is? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. You got to repent. So that you can be right with the Lord. So that we can be right with the Lord. And repentance is a beautiful thing. Laodicea, the Lord, red letters. Repent. You see? Yes, Laodicea is bad. But the Lord speaks to Laodicea. From the outside, not good. But he speaks to Laodicea saying, repent. If you're in a fellowship where the formula is wrong, you know, some of certain sects would say, well, you know, they're never really Christians. They were re really never Christians. No, repent. Repent. So that together, you and me, we can be right before the Lord. We could be clean before the Lord. We could be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. I've talked with husbands in their second or third marriage. And I've been in studies before with men where the men after in the study, they say, you know what? They say, you know, if, if I apply the things that you teach, My first marriage would have worked fine. And then they ask a question, well, should I reconcile and go back to the first marriage? No, that's not the answer. Repent. Repent. Get right with God. Where the present wife is final wife, unless she dies. But as a believer, you know, when, when a believer matures and become deadly, I'll tell you something else that ha tends to happen. They tend to see marriage differently from what they used to think. 
You see? I mean, if you're listening and you're on your second marriage and your first wife isn't dead or your first husband isn't dead and, you know, you're on your third marriage, fourth marriage because of irreconcilable differences. That's what the world says. Corinth is Corinth. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. But the church is the church. If you're listening and you're on marriage two, three, four, five, and your previous wives, previous husbands aren't dead, you got to repent. 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 So that together we can be clean before the Lord. So that together we can be pure before the Lord. So that together we can be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Wives, I love you. I love you. I love you. Don't nag. Don't nag. Just like in the ways of Adam, men are slow to mature in Christ. And nagging can be a very easy pathway to manipulation and that's your hand. It's not the hand of God. See, a lot of wives think, you know, the wife nags and the husband does. But the husband doesn't do because he's learning that, you know, this is right. No, the husband does just to keep the wife quiet. The husband does just to keep her. He doesn't want to hear her voice. Say, Fine, I'll do this. Fine, I'll do this. But what's, what's brewing inside is that he starts to hate his wife. His heart starts to get harder from maple to oak to pine. And then, you know, the dreadful stone. You see? Where the wife says, husband, do this. The husband does. Husband, do this. The husband does. Husband, do this. You know, and the husband doesn't. And all of a sudden, it's like World War III in the house. Oh, I can't believe you, husband. Oh, you know, you're, I'm your helper. And you know, oh, look, you hate me. You don't love me. Wives, and I love you. If that is you, dare not call that the hand of God. Do not call that the hand of God. Oh, look, my husband does this. My husband does this. My husband doesn't do this. My husband do, doesn't do this because of my counsel. Oh, look, I have a godly husband. Because of my counsel, my husband does this. Oh, look, look at me. You know, oh, look oh, how awesome this is. Oh, look how glorious this is. And look how beautiful this is. Meanwhile, the husband's heart is moving to stone. Dare not call that the hand of God. You know why? Wife, and I love you. That's your hand. It is not God's hand. A big problem with husbands today is husband, husbands have relinquished responsibilities, God-given responsibilities. And we have to understand formula. Men, women, Children, we have to understand formula. Jesus Christ, just as he's the head of every church, he's the head of your home. There is a manner that brings honor to him. There is a manner of conduct that gives him glory. There is a manner of conduct that is a sweet aroma unto him and is found in the pages of Scripture. Wives, 
He might wonder, what am I to do? What am I to do? My husband makes these boneheaded mistakes. My husband does this. My husband does it. My husband isn't maturing. Let me tell you a better way. Don't nag, but I will tell you a better way. Say your peace to your husband. Say what you got to say to your husband. Say it. And then dismiss yourself. Say what you got to say and say, excuse me, husband. I'm going to step away. You dismiss yourself and you know what you do? You go to your private area or your prayer closet and you pray to your father in heaven and you intercede for your husband. You see? Pray for your husband. Don't nag him. Pray for him. Because on one way, I'm going to nag my husband. I'm going to nag my husband. I'm going to nag my husband. I'm just helping him be godly. I'm helping him be righteous. But you know what's happening in his heart? He hates you. He hates you. You see? Oh, Satan is attacking me. Satan is attacking our marriage. Satan is attacking our family. And it's like, you wait a, wait a second there, sister. I don't see Satan. I see you're nagging, but I don't see Satan. You see? But you say your peace to your husband. You say what you got to say to your husband. And then you say, okay, husband, I'm, I'm going to step away for a moment. I'm going to step away for a while. You go into your private room, close the door, private prayer closet, close the door, and you're all alone, all alone. According to the flesh, all alone. And you give it to the Lord. You give it to your Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. Give it to him. Look at the two paths. You want to nag your husband? And what looks like obedience to the Lord is really appeasement to the nagging wife. And the heart is getting harder and harder and harder on its way to stone. But the better way Wife says her peace, dismisses herself, and goes and prays. And her father in heaven, hallowed be his name. All of a sudden, things start to happen. To where the husband, he learns righteousness. The husband has a new hunger for the word of God. The husband is growing and maturing. The husband starts to change. And inside what we can't see, what carnal eye can't see, is the husband's heart is circumcised. Nice and soft. Softer than the softest jello. That's a biblical helper. You see? That's formula in the home. That's formula in marriage. Very important to understand formula. 
Also very important. Now, it could be that your, you know, wives, it could be that your husband is a bonehead and, you know, he's just straight up bonehead. Still pray for him. But understand that in the last days, a man's enemies, a woman's enemies, enemies, you think like, you know, the world is, is coming against us and that's going to happen. But don't forget, even those in the home, even those in the home will be, there's going to be division in the home. But the remnant, the remnant is different. The remnant is holy. Wives, don't start the inferno in your husband. Don't start the inferno in your kids and home. Rather, start holy fire. Holy fire. And let it start with you. So let's go back to Samson now. And his choice of a wife. In verse 17, now she had wept on him the, uh, wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. You hate me, you hate me, you don't love me. That's what she would say to him. And then, you know, in verse 17, then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. Remember, this is not Israel. This is the Philistines. She goes to the Philistines. Instead of being cleaved to her husband, she goes to the Philistines. You see? In verse 18, so the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? They give the answer. What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? You see, they answered the riddle, but they didn't figure it out. Samson's wife pressed her. She pressed her husband so much. And we also see betrayal of husband. Well, betrayal of wife unto husband. And so look what Samson says. And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Whoa. Very strong words. Samson was keen to what happened. Heavy words to use. My heifer? Wow. You see, his wife... His wife might have been at home with a big smile on her face, thinking she got what she wanted. She has the upper hand. She has the advantage. But we can also see the inferno that she started in Samson. If you had not plowed with my heifer. Meanwhile, don't forget mama and papa. Don't forget mama and papa. We cannot forget their commitment to the Lord. We cannot forget the effectuators of his promises to them. Parents, I love you. I love you, parents. When your kids are little, you're going to see your kids make boneheaded mistakes. And some of them will be innocent. And some may even give you a chuckle. Because it's so innocent and sometimes these innocent mistakes, it's so cute when it's done by a little three-year-old, a little four-year-old, a little five-year-old. It's so cute. It's so innocent. But teach your children well. Because left unchecked, these character traits will take root and they can grow worse and worse and worse and worse. And when your kids are full grown, their boneheaded mistakes, you won't laugh. 
They'll bring you to your knees with groaning and weeping. They'll bring you to your knees. You see? Train your children well. Teach them in the ways of righteousness. A parent might say, I don't like the responsibility. I don't like this responsibility. Does the Bible really say this? I don't like this responsibility. Listen, there's no stork. There's no stork. Babies don't just magically appear. It, you know, takes two to tango. Babies happen for, uh, you know, it, there's a biological process that happens in place. But then there, don't forget the spiritual side too. Remember our study in Hebrews? Something has to happen. There's no stork. The Lord gives us instructions. The Lord gives us instructions for every aspect of life and conduct that is pleasing to him. And don't forget, he helps us too. We have the Holy Spirit. Don't forget the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see in verse 19, then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who, ex who had explained the riddle. Now, remember the deal from verse 12 where, you know, Samson says, I'll give you 30 garments. Now, what he didn't tell them was that the garments would be from their own countrymen. You see, their plot worked against them. The plot of these Philistines worked against them. Samson's wife, her plot worked against her. Remember, the Lord, he was searching for opportunity to move against the Philistines. You see? It's very important to understand. A lot of people, when they look at the life of Samson, a lot of teachers, a lot of pastors, when they look at the life of Samson, it's about the hair. It's about Samson himself. It's about the woman, the women. It's about this, it's that. Very rarely will you hear people even mention mama and papa. And God's promises unto them. God's promise for them. Before Samson was even born, mama, she's, she's barren. In Judges 13, she's barren. She can't have kids. And the Lord is giving her promises about a son that she doesn't have. A son that hasn't even been conceived. You see? When we look at Samson, and yes, he makes some mistakes. Understand that the Lord is also doing a work in him. Just like we see with Paul. Just like we see with Peter. Just like we see with Moses. Just like we see with Joseph. You see the ups and the downs in the lives of vessels of the Lord. Remember we come to Christ at 0%. And we grow, we mature, and we move to 99.999%. 100% we're going to be dead. But along the way from 0 to 99.9, it's going to be bumpy. It's going to have the ups and the downs because we're learning. 
Samson is learning. Peter learned. You see, Moses learned. Abraham learned. And obedience unto the Lord is a learned thing. And so look what happens here in verse 19. So his anger was aroused. Samson, he's mad. Understandably, he was betrayed by his wife. His anger was aroused. You know, if you had not plowed with my heifer, he said. He was angry. And he went back up to his father's house. You see, now we see separation. He doesn't want to be with his wife. He leaves her. In verse 20. And Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. What a mess. You see, it's just a mess. And we're going to see in the life of Samson how some things have to be repetitive in order to understand. Repetition, repetition, repetition in order for us to understand. But you know what? It's the same with us. Us. It's the same with you. It's the same with me. And sometimes it takes a whole lifetime to come to a beautiful conclusion. Lord, Lord, your ways are better than mine. Lord, your ways are better than ours. You see, sometimes it takes a whole lifetime to learn that his ways are better than yours. His ways are better than mine. His ways is the only way. And Jesus is the way. You see, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through Him. He is the only way. And if you're listening, and you've never walked with the Lord, and you desire to, if you're listening and you do walk with the Lord, but it's bumpier than what it should be, and you want to recommit your life to Christ, do it right here, right now. Commit your life to Christ. Normally, I'd say hit pause and listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ, but we're at the end of our study. So at the end of this study, go and listen to the message how to commit your life to Christ, and you do exactly that. You commit your life to Christ right here, right now. Because God loves you. He, he desires you and me to be in paradise. He wants you in paradise. And when the Lord says turn right, you might have turned left. When the Lord says turn left, you might have gone straight. But the whole time he's searching for opportunity to redirect you where you need to be. And, you know, that first left turn, that might have been a hundred miles ago. And here we are, you and me. That might have been 20 years ago, and yet here we are, you and me. You see, 
let's go to paradise, you and me. You commit your life to Christ right here, right now. So the beautiful people of the way are remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.